Good morning, everyone. Sally, so good to see you back. Good. Uh, hope for today. God's kind of strength. Do, sometimes do you feel like you're very weak and you have been given a task that you can't possibly do on your own and you really have no idea where to turn because um, you can't find any more strength in yourself? Turn to him. They shall walk and not faint. Isaiah 40, 31. Never in history have the nations of the world possessed so many lethal armaments, so many ways to bring death and destruction to the human race. Some of our most brilliant minds spend their entire lives developing new and more and greater and more sophisticated ways to destroy life. But have all our weapons brought us lasting security? On the contrary, if anything, they have made the world less secure. At any one time, at least 30 wars rage in various parts of the world. In addition to the countless instances of civil unrest, I am reminded of the false prophets of Jeremiah's day. Peace, peace, they say, where there is no peace. That's from Jeremiah 8.11. In the midst of an uncertain and threatening world, however, we can have peace. It comes from putting our trust in the living God. Isaiah's words written in a time of great upheaval still speak to us today. Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength, and they shall walk, and they will not faint. Isaiah 40, 31. And the hope for today, defeating an earthly enemy will never bring peace. Creating the most devastating weapon doesn't prove strength. People who learn to wait on the Lord will be the ones who experience a perfect peace and a strength that will not fade, no matter the world's circumstance. Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you for this good and great morning that you've given into our hands. And we pray that not only would our service be a blessing to you, but that our lives would be transformed to be used as servants of your holy kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. Walk by faith, each step by faith to live by faith. I put my trust in you. I walk by faith, each step by faith to live by faith. I put my trust in you. I walk by faith. Each step by faith to live by faith. I put my trust in you. I walk by faith. Each step by faith to live by faith. I put my trust in you. That was
was cool. We stopped together, and we never knew when we were going to do that. I'm telling you. Faith of our fathers. Abraham was one of the fathers in the Old Testament. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heir according to promise. Amen. take a look at Psalm 1 this morning. <clears throat> 
It's the fundamental song. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He should be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Would you like to stand with me and we'll say the Lord's Prayer together? This is a different version than what we usually pray. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but to us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our New Testament reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a, she of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens a gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads him out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who hear Jesus use this illustration, didn't they? Didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now we're going to try something different this time with the Nicene Creed. I would suggest you try to follow it up here because I had to print it pretty tiny in the bulletin. <laughs> I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, 
true God from true God, begotten, not made, substantial with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit were incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was heard, rose again on the third day. In accordance with the scriptures, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom shall have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins and I look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, creator of all, owner of all, we ask that we be, what we do is pleasing to you. The lives we live are led by you. Lord, part of that late, uh, being led by you calls for us to give back, to share the, the, the wonderful gifts that you have given us, to share them with others. Lord, so we ask that as we share our gifts, that they be used wisely and that we always shine your spirit throughout our lives. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
and enticed. In the Lord's Prayer from the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says in verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Today we're going to explore the Lord's Prayer and those things St. Paul calls traditions of our faith. But before we go any further, let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we uh, are so very grateful that we can bring our petitions to you in prayer. We bless your name that you encourage us to do so. We bless your name again because you answer those prayers. You hear every prayer, you answer every prayer. Perhaps not in the timing or in the way we would wish, but you hear and answer every prayer. And we give you great praise for that this morning. Speak to us through your word, Father, this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Lead us not into temptation. The idea of God leading his people is a main and recurring theme throughout Scripture. The book of Psalms is filled with pleas for God to lead us in his ways. Slide number three, please. Psalm 5.8 from the ESV. Lead me in the right path, O Lord, or my enemies will conquer me. Make your way plain for me to follow. Psalm 27.11, ESV. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Psalm 139.24 from the King James. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So if God will not tempt us to sin, why is this worded in such a way to imply that he would or could? Many translations from the Greek to English make you struggle with this question. Why would God lead us into temptation? Presumably he would or there would be no need to ask him not to. We have to understand something about the Greek language to answer this question. Slide four, please. There is, uh, in the Greek language, a phrase that is interpreted a particle of qualified negation. Say what? Qualified negation. Lead us not is a particle of qualified negation. What's that mean? In other words, it's a phrase that expresses absolute denial. But an absolute denial of what? The absolute denial is that God would ever lead us into temptation. You could translate this verse, God forbid that we ever, that he would ever allow us to be tempted. And you say, but he allowed Job to be tempted. He allowed Job to be tested, but he did not lead Job there. And Job conquered that testing by his faith. 
But you say, okay, how about Jesus? The scripture says the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. No, it doesn't. The scripture says the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Period. Satan did all the tempting, not God. God knew what would happen, therefore he allowed the temptation. But any time God allows temptation or trial, he sustains us. And after the trials and temptations of Jesus, the angels ministered to him. As surely as the angels ministered to Jesus, they also ministered to Job. Faith sustained Job. Holiness sustained the Lord Jesus. Thus the translation from the NLT is spot on. Don't let us yield to temptation. Lord, you know it's coming, but don't let me yield to it. The Hebrew to English translation is, do not let us be overcome by trials, but rescue us from the evil one. The Greek word for temptation is the exact same word as trials. Slide five, please. Psalm 141, verse 4 from the NIV. Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil, so that I may take part in wicked deeds along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat their delicacies. In other words, don't let me yield to temptation. So why do so many older translations read, let us, lead us not into temptation? Because if you translate the Greek into English literally, that's all you get. But translating the Greek literally does not account for qualified negation and how poorly it translates into English. If you study the English language in depth, you will happen upon a term called conceptual semantics, which deals with the cognitive structure of the meaning of words. In other words, what comes into your mind when you hear a certain phrase? Let me give you an example. Edible beans. If I tell you edible beans, you automatically think, well, there must be inedible beans. But what are inedible beans? Well, if you're a farmer from the Midwest, you know that edible beans are whole and complete pinto beans. But broken beans are culls, and they are sold to those who make refried beans. Since you're going to crush the bean anyway, what difference does it make if it's been fractured? Lead us not into temptation is a conceptual semantic, which causes us to assume that God can or could lead us into temptation, even though Scripture says that's not possible. Every Bible translation of Greek into English has its problems. So if you ever wonder why I use the NLT, it's uh, quite a simple decision for me. It's a matter of which translation presents the least problems. Which translation keeps the context of the original languages. And when it's all said and done, which is easier to understand. And for me, that's the NLT. But if you insist on reading the older translations like ESV, KJV, RSV, it's a helpful hint 
that I will give to you to help you understand, lead us not into temptation. Now listen up, this is good. A mother takes her young children grocery shopping and comes to the candy aisle. She knows that taking her children down the candy aisle will lead to whining, pouting, or tantrums. In her wisdom, she takes another route. Whatever she may have needed down the candy aisle can wait for another day. This way, she averts the unpleasantness and spares her children a trial. Remember, the Greek word for temptation is the same word for trial. Lead us not into trials is a perfectly legitimate translation of Matthew 6.13. So to pray, lead us not into temptation is to pray, Lord, please don't take me down the candy aisle today. God knows we naturally grasp for unprofitable things, things we don't need, things that will ultimately hurt us. Whether we're asking God to lead us away from sin or trials, our goal is the second part of that verse. Deliver us from the evil one. Thus the message translation is spot on. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. It's critically important for us to comprehend that absolutely nothing can touch us. No trial, no temptation, no hardship that is not first filtered through the grid of God's will and his amazing grace. No temptation can touch us unless we yield to it. It is not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted but he did not sin. Sin is when we yield to temptation or entertain it. There is no happenstance or coincidence in God's will, even when we go through trials. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Romans 8, 28. Nothing in our lives slips through the cracks. Nothing in our lives escapes. God's notice. Oh, really? Then why am I sick? Doesn't God want me to be whole? He doesn't want me to be sick. Is this a trial? Why was my 15-year-old grandson shot twice in the head by a local gang? This question was asked to me last week when I visited and preached at my old church. This poor woman, I believe within the past several months, has lost her husband, or not her husband, but her mother, father. Last year, she lost her brother. He was in the hospital and was given a drug, the wrong drug, and uh, in Mexico, given the wrong drug and uh, passed away the next week. And then recently, her 15-year-old grandson was shot. She said he was in our Christmas play. He came to church with me many times. If you believe all things work together for the good, or you don't, 
I don't have to tell you that we live in a dark world, even here in Tucson. I shouldn't have to tell you that the Mexican cartels are well established here in Tucson. And they recruit young kids. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because just as there's a thing called God's common grace, He sends His rain and His grace on everyone, the good and the bad. Just as there is common grace, there is such a thing as evil, and it touches the soul. So let's dig deeper into the subject of traditions. Slide six, please. 2 Thessalonians 2.15 from the ESV. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions. The NIV translates that teachings. That you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by letter. The tradition St. Paul is speaking of here is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not just the sacraments, but the entire gospel. So is the Lord's Prayer a tradition? Absolutely. It's part of the gospel. The church today embraces the traditions of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, but we also embrace the traditions of men. The creeds, the manifestos, declarations of faith, books of doctrine, commentaries. Colossians 2.8 from the New King James. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Has the liberal church rewritten their declarations of faith and doctrine? Yes, sadly they have for their own agenda. And what's their agenda? One size fits all religion. All dogs go to heaven, otherwise known as universalism. Gay's okay. You can come to our church and drag if that makes you happy. Come on in. Jesus loves everybody. Indeed, he does. He loves everybody, but he won't condemn he won't condone your sins and he won't dismiss them. There are man's rules and then there are God's rules. Mark 7, verses 5 through 8 from the NIV. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law asked Jesus, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, for it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Some of our creeds have literally been passed down since the beginnings of the church. The Apostles' Creed dates back to the first century, though it has been revised over the century. And several denominations have their own version of the creed. The Nicene Creed we just recited dates back to the fourth century. It too has been revised. 
The Athanasian Creed dates back to the 5th century and represents the doctrine of the Trinity that Athanasius and Augustine taught and has remained virtually unchanged. We'll talk about that next week. But are these creeds gospel? No. Are they based on the gospel? Absolutely. But they are not gospel. Much of the gospel was communicated by word of mouth, and this happened before the records of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. as were the letters of Peter, Paul, and James. They were communicated verbally for quite some time before they were copied and distributed in letters to the church. Although the 27 books that comprise today's New Testament were not canonized until late in the 4th century, those same 27 books, according to the early church father Eusebius, were generally accepted as gospel in all of the first century churches. But do you know how and why the creeds came to be? The Nicene Creed came to be at the request of Constantine. It is basically an amplified Apostles' Creed. Why was it amplified? Constantine wanted a creed that the entire church could embrace in order to put an end to the visions in the early church, which had been created by Arius of Alexandria. Have you ever heard of Arianism? It's alive today. We call them Jehovah's Witnesses. Who was Arius? He was a presbyter in the church of Alexandria in Egypt. You may recall there were two distinct churches early. There was what became the Roman Catholic Church and then the Eastern Church, which we know as Eastern Orthodox. Who is Arius? Well, he developed a large following in the second century church. He taught basically what the JWs teach today. He taught that Jesus was created by the Father, and therefore was not the same substance as the Father, was not co-eternal with the Father, and that Jesus was only a holy man, not divine. The Council of Nicaea in 325 AD expelled Arius, excommunicated him, and labeled his teachings as heresy. In 336 AD, Arius had been reinstated into the Eastern Church by a pope of the Eastern Church and then en route to argue once again with the church fathers for the reintroduction of his doctrine, he collapsed in the street, hemorrhaging blood from his rectum and died in a pool of his own blood. Don't mess with God's word. In 381 AD, the Council of Constantinople revised the Nicene Creed to what we have today. Slide seven, please. I know we recited it, but let me read it to you and just focus on what you hear. 
We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. Remember what I said, the Apostles' Creed amplified. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Do you see the dissent against Arius? Begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. This is good doctrine. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. Slide eight, please. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets, <coughs> spoken in his word. We believe in one Catholic that's universal, one universal and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Can we lose our way following creeds? It's on us. It's on the local church to research and proof the creeds to ensure they are scriptural. To weed out the revisions that are heresy. But while we're on the subject of the traditions of men, did you know there are secular creeds that are as old as our Christian creeds? They're still practiced and taught in our universities today. Aristotle taught Alexander the Great that he could not be a great leader until he mastered the three pillars of what Aristotle called the rhetorical triangle. In other words, until you have excellent rhetoric, you cannot lead men. What are those three pillars? Ethos, pathos, and logos. What is rhetoric? It's the art a public speaking. Joe Biden never took this course. Slide number nine. The rhetorical triangle. Ethos relates to the speaker's status or authority. Pathos appeals to our emotions and logos represents logic. You notice Aristotle uh, obviously was not a Christian. He, he doesn't maintain the same definition of the logic as uh, or logo says we do in Christianity. Nonetheless, Aristotle said a speaker must be able to persuade by virtue of logic and reason. But a great speaker uses all collectively. Guess who's using the rhetorical triangle in digital format? You're being influenced by it subliminally and didn't know it. Google, but they're not the only ones. 
I was listening to Tucker Carlson interview Elon Musk the other night, and the subject was artificial intelligence. I've heard other commentators say that AI is moving forward at breakneck speed, but Musk's comments frightened me. What Musk said was this. He started a company years ago to research artificial intelligence with a man named Larry Page. Larry Page should be familiar to you. He is the co-founder of Google. Musk went on to say that he left the company due to a conversation he had with Page on the subject of AI safety protocols. Musk stated that Page was adamant that he would not allow any kind of oversight of his research and development because his goal was to make a digital god as soon as possible. Musk let, left the company immediately thereafter. He said at this point, Page, in, in that conversation, call, uh, Page called uh, Musk specious. Specious means superficially plausible, but actually wrong. I, I think I would have walked out the door also. Musk went on to point out that Page, being the co-founder of Google, in Musk's estimation, has corralled 75% of the world's talent on AI. When Carlson asked Musk what his greatest fears concerning AI were, Musk answered, up till now, humans have been the most intelligent species on the planet. And now we've created something that is more intelligent than we are. Is there reason to be concerned? Absolutely. Musk went on to indicate <clears throat> that an intelligence that is greater than our own will ultimately seize control. Carlson then insisted, be more specific, to which Musk answered, when AR starts, when artificial intelligence is used to write our speeches and books. The logic will be unprecedented and undeniable. After the interview, Carlson summed things up by asking his audience, what happens in 2024? The Democrats have been ahead of the curve for the past decade. Would they use AI to advance their agenda? You know they will. What point am I trying to make? Silicon Valley is totally bought in to the liberal mindset of one world government, one world currency, and one world culture. And Google is leading the charge. And how does that relate to Christians? Slide 10, please. Revelations 13, 11 through 17 from the message. I saw another beast, the false prophet. Rising out of the ground, it had two horns like a lamb, but sounded like a dragon when it spoke. It was a puppet of the first beast, Antichrist, and made the earth and everyone in it worship the first beast, which had been healed of its death blow. Have you ever thought about that? Healed of a death blow. The resurrection of Christ. Satan's the master of counterfeit. 
This second beast, the false prophet, worked magical signs, dazzling people by bringing fire down from heaven. What's the dictionary's definition of magic? The power to influence the course of events by the mysterious or the supernatural. It used the magic it got from the beast, Antichrist, to dupe earth dwellers, getting them to make an image of the beast that received the death blow and lived. This image will be established in the temple of God. It was able to animate the image of the beast so that it talked. Do we really think that an AI android I mean, can you imagine that it's not already in the works, if not complete? And then arranged that anyone not worshiping the beast would be killed. It forced all people, small, great, rich, poor, free, and slave, to have the mark on the right hand or the forehead. And without that mark of the beast or the number of its name, it was impossible to buy and sell anything. That really um, just solidified for me the um, this verse. It was able to animate the image of the beast so that it talked. Need I remind you that the World Economic Forum is predicting a global digital currency in less than three years. And if you think they won't make good on that, think again. What we see in this passage from Revelation is Satan creating a counterfeit trinity. The beast, Antichrist. The false prophet and an android image of the beast. A satanic trinity. The great counterfeiter. Not even considering that the collapse of the U.S. dollar could happen within the next year. Is there any further need for me to convince you that the return of Christ is near? Let us pray. Lord, it's, uh, it's not what we feel, not what we fear, but what we know. We know your word, and therefore we shall not be moved. We shall not live in fear. As we know the sovereign. We know you, Lord. You are sovereign. You are sovereign now, and you will be completely sovereign when your trumpet sounds. Give us the courage to stay in your word, to be ready, willing, and able to suffer whatever persecution comes our way. Because we don't see the genocide in Africa, we feel somewhat safe. Hasn't come here yet. But things are dire. 
Help us wake up. Help us understand that time is short. And every opportunity we miss to share your grace, your love, your message of hope may send someone to the dark regions of hell. Help us be alert. Empower us with your Holy Spirit to speak the words of truth. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings. substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1. 1. We see the hand of God In the light of creation's grand design In the lives of those who prove His faithfulness Who walk by faith and not by sight By faith our fathers roam the earth with the power of His promise in their hearts Of a holy city built by God's own hand A place where peace and justice reign We will stand as children of the promise We will fix our lives on
earth and mountains shall be moved And the power of the gospel shall prevail For we know in Christ all things are possible For all who call upon His name We will stand as children of the promise We will fix our eyes on Him The souls reward Till the race is finished And the work is done By faith and not by sight Stand as children of the promise We will fix our eyes on Him Our souls reward Till the race is finished And the work is done We will have faith and not have sight We will have faith and not Peace.